Welcome back to Blue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at bkglueguysnetsdaily.com. Almighty baller. Netspod at Gmail and iTunes. Of course, give us a review. Make it five stars and make our lives better. Brian. Mike, big night last night. It's the first game of the season. Alan Crabb has back-to-back 20-point games. Oh, is that the positive spin on it? I love it. That's my spin. Dude, we need that. Um, I will admit I didn't watch much of it. I worked crazy early in the morning. I watched some of it. Um, And I don't want to say I'm happy I woke up that the score was so bad, but, you know, I'm kind of happy. I watched uh, the first three quarters, and then my body physically revolted. Like, I, I couldn't. I just I uh, I couldn't do it anymore, and you know you can't you can't blame us. We we work hard, Mike. We try to be there every night, but that was um, hard. That was difficult to watch. And I think for anybody, and Kenny Atkinson kind of spoke about it, right? That like, and I'm sure he does. He didn't want to admit this, but the emotional toll of getting jobbed by the refs. Uh, we now know that is confirmed. You saw the last two minute report from the Raptors I game. Did. Um, they had to rectify the fake news report from the Boston game. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we actually when we lied to everyone. Oh, and then uh, so it, and you know it hits critical mass when Ian Eagle. That is like the lead of his sort of intro to the game when he starts. You know when the, when he's with whoever he's with sitting on the court and they're introing the game. He talked about the refs being an issue in the past few games. So this has hit critical mass here. Um, yeah. But so the last, if you don't know. The NBA, again, puts out a, two, a last two-minute report for sort of they analyze each call that had happened, each non-call that had happened. And we have confirmation from the NBA. Alan Crabb was fouled on his bucket that tied the game against the Raptors. And Spencer Dinwiddie was fouled on a late Duncan tap that was just not called. And we both uh, saw those incidents incorrect. So we'll focus on that as opposed to the business <laughs> game. Real quick, um, Andre Drummond's shoulder hair what's your take on that um you know i it's it's interesting because i'm totally fascinated by it every time i see an image of him i just think about that shoulder hair it's and it's also chest hair too and i'm wondering if he does do some kind of manscaping and forming that into a bit more of a vest shape you know it seems seems like um i don't know if he does because my analysis of it would be that there is no manscaping right because yeah the fact that he left sort of that raggedy just raggedy patches of little curly hair all over his shoulders and into his elbow would suggest that there's lack of, of Oh, it's at the elbow. See, I hadn't seen the, the elbow hairs there. Well, it's See, I thought great. he was, I thought he was doing sort of like a, um, a business, like sort of like tattoo kind of thing. You know how like Gilbert Arenas or Kevin Durant has his tattoos, like all, <laughs> all under a vest. Um, I kind of, I, so this is why I like it because it matches him as a player that he's a classic post player and he has sort of the body hair of an 80s style post player. Like classically, yeah. what was wonderful about basketball for so many years, and I feel like we've kind of lost this, is the body hair aspect of just horrible armpit mm-hmm. hair, horrible arm hair, weird gangly sort of, I'm thinking of Kevin McHale type arms. And yeah. Drummond is not only bringing back the post game, he's bringing back bad body hair. And I, and I appreciate it, and I'm a fan of it. And I kind of wish yeah. the Nets had made a trade for him obviously in the off season when that was out there to be had when anyone could have had him but uh, he's a bit of a tough matchup for us isn't he isn't he mike i was i was watching jaleel okafor uh just get his cookies taken from him time and time again that was not a good matchup he somehow jaleel is somehow both <clears throat> smaller and slower than andre drummond and that's it's gonna be a problem for you well and it's like so in in theory right that this is the kind of guy that Okafor should have some kind of shot at because it's just there's like a limited amount of space that 
Drummond's going to take up. Mm-hmm. I just have a feeling I don't know if anyone's a good matchup for Julia Okafor. Uh, I just don't know yeah. if that's like going to be a thing in existence really ever in his career. Fine with it's going to become that system guy we're looking for, Mike. Not not have him just go one on one against Andre Dr- the Andre Drummonds of the world. A thing a thing you like. Uh, a thing the Mike Smeltzes of the world like to hear. Um, um, Jared Allen anyway. did have a nice block on Andre Drummond in the first quarter. An actual block that was nice. Um, the rest of the game was the debacle, and that's pretty much fine. It was the Spencer Dinwiddie revenge game, and he sh- he, <laughs> he scored two yeah. points. Um, so we, we love Spencer, and still great assist to turnover ratio, three to one. Uh, but two points for Spencer Dinwiddie in the game, where which is so funny. So this is something I kind of want to talk about. Um, we have been talking about Spencer Dinwiddie for a while, right? You know, we have pumped him up even last year at the end of last year. Uh, I had originally said way long ago that like I never want to see him play on the basketball court and then he was having moments and then we you and I had the discussion that he is better than Yogi Ferrell when the national conversation was that Yogi Ferrell was the next sort of like undiscovered gem when he was on Dallas now we have Spencer Dinwiddie just playing fantastic great stats blah 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 now there are pieces being written about about him by national media his thoughts are quoted in bigger stories about the referees and stuff and then he comes out, you know, and, and then he even has the regret game. You know, like, you have to be at a certain level to be good enough to then go to an opposing coach who has cut him or traded him at one point and said, did you guys make a mistake? And Stan Van Gundy had to answer those questions. He had to answer the questions. Did they make a mistake? Um, we're at that moment with Spencer Dinwiddie. It's a nice moment to see. It's really fun to watch um, how you process the evolution of different players because you're a pretty biased person and you have a lot of prejudices. This yes, is you, Mike. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, like for example, um, you you've landed on Milton Doyle as your current fascination. Like you you love him. You think that that's going to work out. I think. Right, right. I thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's the best Mark signing yet, but. I don't know if I'm exactly right in that as I watch him play basketball in the NBA game. Yes, I'm biased. Yes. Um, but it's fun to watch as these, you know, the layers of the onion get peeled back. And, and uh, you know, you're a reasonable person at the end of the day. You know, you've you've admitted finally that Karis LeBert has legs. Um, uh, did I? And did that, I actually, that? that's not that's probably not true. Yeah, um, we don't know that. But I did. I, I do think that you were kind of in love with Yogi Ferrell as well. And that, that's been a hard this whole thing's been hard for you. Yeah, it's been it's I've been eating crow. As yeah. much as that's been called, um, no. But I Although, think Yogi's not been bad, though. I mean, he's having a, a decent season himself. But I feel like I feel like I jumped so far off the Yogi Ferrell bandwagon quickly enough. I was on it, <laughs> but I jumped off quickly enough and onto the Dinwiddie bandwagon before anyone else was on it. Right? Like we, like we were both on that bandwagon pretty darn early. Um, I just was loud wrong before that. So like I'm used to yeah. being loud wrong early. Um, the trade requests I put out about Damari Carroll, I don't think there's been one positive comment about that. So I appreciate those. Yeah, here's the thing. I want to institute a new policy where if you're going <laughs> to criticize someone's trade proposal, you have to then link your own trade proposal. Okay? That's what I want to see start happening. Because it's too easy to just come over and flame someone for their, you know, their trade idea, because that's easy, right? That's really easy. Like, oh, you're stupid. That's stupid and terrible. All right. Let's see it. Hit me up with a link. Give me that, give me that trade machine link, dog. And it's not no one cares about this, but like I do try to infuse some type of like both sides, looking at both sides, shoes, you know, put yourself in the other team's shoes, right? So like you can't just put trade proposals out there and say Damari Carroll for a first round pick and not get any salary back. 
That's not how the NBA works. You kind of have to take some bad with the good. Obviously, look at the D'Angelo trade. The D'Angelo trade, the Nets not only had to take back Mozgov, they had to give up a first-round pick, which ended up being Kuzma, which is, you know, it's horrible and brutal and can be brought up a million times. The Nets probably wouldn't have taken Kuzma. They just, I mean, why would you know, they? They could have taken him at 22 if they loved him as much as they did. Um, yeah. And, and the, and the like, sad truth of it, too, is that, like, if you press some of these sort of Twitter um, troll, bo- troll boys a little bit on <clears throat> why they're being so negative about things, they, they, they're like, what, you like Luol Bang? Like, no, that's not at all the point of any of this. That's not why we're doing this. No, we're doing um, this to do get the one thing that we want out of this situation, whether it be Brandon Ingram, which... Everyone hated that, which is fine. I appreciate that, but it's going to happen. That trade will happen, and or a first round pick. But but by the way, let's talk about trolls for a second, Brian, because you kind of want to. I think you're responding to the trolls a little bit with our intro music. What's going on? Are we are we oh. unveiling this thing? <laughs> well, is this, this thing is actually happening? just trolls in my life, <laughs> not not <laughs> trolls on the internet. I have friends who are like music snobs, and they give us they give me a, a mountain of of s over our intro uh which i love and mike loves and i know a lot of people love but here's the thing the intro has been divisive and has always been divisive as long as we've had this show people come out of the woodwork be like your intro sucks (laughs) this has been (laughs) since day one really there's no pleasing anybody so cheerboy shook jones is the most recent uh, participant in this kind of slander uh, and I kind of want to just have fun with it. Like I, I want to leave it up to a, I want to do it the democratic way, you know, so that I'll just be like, Hey guys, it's not up to me, right? This is the people have spoken. This is what the intro music is. So I, I just want to not have that conversation anymore. I want to, I want to like shift it to back on the viewers. So the onus will be on the viewers. So what I want to do is and I haven't really figured out how we're going to do this, but I want to have a, uh, intro music contest thing. And, uh, Flatbush and Atlantic has agreed to like not only will if you're a music producer or, or an aspiring music producer send over like a, a 20 second clip or something and then we'll like shout you out and stuff plus you'll get some swag from Flatbush and Atlantic I think it's a fun idea um, and I think it's also fun to have like you know a a, uh, a bullpen of intros you know not just have like the one intro just keep changing it up so I haven't like fully formed this idea but you know tweeted us at BK glue guys or, uh, or emails. If you think this is something you're interested in, in doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Well, what, what kind of music are you envisioning? Cause like, you know, well, dude, I've had everything from the, like the Zelda intro to like, um, I had a riffraff beat on there at one point. Um, I had, I mean, I, we've had everything. So really our, our, like our brand doesn't really have, any like kind of cohesion to it so yeah so i'm not I really worried about yeah. about anyone landing on the right thing uh, and, and you know i could go for just music just instrumental i could go for someone taking the extra step and maybe putting their own voice to it and saying like doing a, a big announcer segment give me give us something different right don't just give us yeah. um don't give us the john cena drop that's the one thing because that's sort of already reserved for your boy yeah. um and so we want something different and we'll take anything and we'll probably yeah. play anything as long as it's not offensive. We'll just play it and let people decide. We're a crowdsourced pod. I will say I, I have a, a certain aversion to like just like bland, like uh, rights free, like beats or whatever. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone does. So like probably probably something a little with a little bit more texture is going to go further. But, you know, honestly, it's if anyone really participates, I'll be I'll be super excited and pleased to see what whatever anyone else has. Um, so we got some listener emails, is that right? 
Oh, we do. We do. We got a couple of emails here. You want to get to them? Yeah, let's let's pop them out. By the way, I, I did ask. We're going to have this on. But I did ask Anthony Puccio. I just sent up the bath signal, see if he wanted to come on. But he is going to be a feature of the Levittown Tribune today. Um, yes, cool. that's happening. So he's getting filmed for that, doing a local news feature on him, about him, Anthony Puccio of NetsDaily.com fame. Uh, congratulations, Anthony, for your rise to stardom. Um, look for it on the Levittown Tribune. Brian, email. Cool, cool. Uh, so first up, Cheerboy. Gotta get a John Cena drop going here. I'm I'm getting itchy for it. I'm getting I'm I've turned into a John Cena drop know, junkie we to, over here. We need to pod together. I'm uh, sorry. My bad. Zach Murphy, cheer boy. Um, thanks for hitting us up at uh, netspod at gmail.com. Anybody who wants to hit us up. So it's um, hey guys, loving the work so far. Loving your email so far, Zach. Uh, considering the lineup will be um, Dinwiddie, Delo, Carol, RHJ, Zeller, in a perfect world soon. Uh, what about all, all our great shooters off the bench? Uh, Stauskas, Harris, Crab, etc. In theory, you'd want one to start, right? But I'm not sure how I'd arrange our lineups. Uh, we are almost too deep and need to flip uh, two for one. Maybe mm-hmm. say a shooting guard and Zeller, although I love his rim running for a proper stretch four. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, I totally agree. So we basically have two log jams going on. We have our like ball handling playmaking log jam, and we have our uh, basically crab archetype uh, log jam. Um, so we got two of them. Like, which one is the bigger problem for you right now? I mean, they're they're like the the ball handler log jam is a good log jam to have. That's also sort of why. And I'll, I got I'm going to do this later in the pod. Uh, contracts for Joe Harris. What a contract on the Nets may look like. Um, but that's why I'm not. I understand the theory out there that you shouldn't trade Joe Harris because, uh, you know, you're trying to build something. He's a good player. He knows the system. He doesn't ruffle feathers. So why don't you just re-sign him to a nice little deal and show that you reward players? But I also am not against trading Joe Harris because you have Alan Crabb at $19 million whatever a year and Stauskas, who I kind of like. You know, I've I've enjoyed the Nick Stauskas experience. Um, yeah. And also it's going to be... So I wonder what they're going to do with trades. Obviously, I think they're going to be less active than maybe um, my interest in the trade machine is. But I would love it if so I don't necessarily need a first round pick for any of these guys. Like if they could get as Zach wants to stretch four, that is such a big position for this team. I mean, I we've talked about this. Uh, Rondé's not really um, he is a four, but like you still need that guy who's like six, nine, six, ten. Who can actually stretch to the five, but is a four, who is athletic yeah. and is not Quincy AC. He, he's given up on that one three game thing that he was attempting to to do. Ronde, yeah. Um, yeah, which mer- mercifully he's given up on it. Yeah, and it's it's like you can be nothing but happy with what he's done, but they still just like there's a defensive liability aspect to Ronde when you like really get down to it at the end of games. Not, not that he's a bad defender, but. He, there's a limit to who he can defend and some guy like a Horford type, even though Horford's really a center, just like Rondé is not going to have a chance against them. Like who is it like, a couple games ago that Rondé was just getting bullied by? Um, I forget who it was probably the Celtics, someone like that, but I just, I was just looking at the minutes distribution. So Stauskas is on the rise, of course, uh, but Quincy AC it's, it's um, is, is has a, like a stronghold on that 23 minutes per game. Um, it is it is unwavering. Well, it's, um, it's funny. So, so you talk. So can. we have like guys coming. Like 
You have the point guards coming in and out. We'll see what happens. We're talking about the Nick Skouskis, Joe Harris, Alan Crabb situation. Unchallenged, Quincy AC. Just unchallenged. Yeah. They don't even bring in it like Milton Doyle was brought in, who I love, but he is essentially of that, you know, Joe Harris role type. They don't have they don't have anyone that challenges the Quincy AC role. Uh no. and that's the big role that they need. So speaking of which, uh your boy Ronald Kaplan. Thanks for hitting us up, Ronald. Big Nets fan since the Mike Minsky and Darwin Cook years. Uh, just discovered your podcast and love it. Thank you, Ronald. Uh, Thanks, Ronald. I have come to the conclusion that Quincy AC has naked pictures of Coach Atkinson. That's true. <laughs> um, just because he takes three-pointers uh, doesn't make him a three-point shooter. Go big or small, anything but him. <laughs> Ron from East Brunswick. Um, Thanks, dog. Uh, that was... <laughs> um, that I just had to read that one because that was... Uh, you know, worked nicely off of our last point. Anyways, um, next up, your boy, Ian Wells. Um, hey, guys, two questions for the pod. The Nets just got pummeled by Detroit in our 15-26 and 26 at the midway point of the season. Do we look at the first half as a success? And the second question is, how do you see the win total shaping up for the remainder of the season? Oof. What do you think, Mike? What, so do you say? For, what do you say? So the first half is a success, right? That is yeah. almost unquestioned. I mean, they're... So what, they got 20 wins last year and they have 15 this year and there is at least seven games now that they had a shot at winning at the end or very close to. Um, factor in the injuries, come on, factor, factor them. You got to factor in the injuries and I can't wait to not factor in the injuries, right? Like It'll never be the case. This, I almost this is, like, the, this is we, the curse. We may want to wipe off discussing the Jeremy Lin injury. Like at a certain point... You no, know. no, it's important to always if so long as Boston Celtics are going to be talking about Gordon Hayward oh next year. Oh my god. Every <laughs> every week there's like a story about how maybe Hayward's going to come back, but oh my gosh, how good would they have been if they had him? It's like it's like okay, yeah, but you also like have had just about karmically the best luck possible for about 5 years now after the Garnett Pierce trade. So let's not let's just not talk about them. Um Although I do hate the fact that I kind of like the Celtics. It's it's <laughs> it, it's it kind of sucks, but they're really fun to watch. Like I've always really liked watching Kyrie Irving uh, play basketball, and um, <clears throat> that hasn't changed. It's just a really fun well, team to watch, which sucks. Tatum and so J- Jalen Brown but... are both like super fun young players. To that, yeah. that, oh, the fact oh. that they're together is awesome. They kind of fill yeah. each little gap. Um, and I, I I will say I've been freed from Celtics hate a little bit because the pick is now in Cleveland's hands. I no yeah. longer have that anger <laughs> that i had to yeah. boston um and i will what, say that like it seems like Cavs fans are just like straight up more vindictive like the celtics fans have been um like like taking advantage of us for so long that they it's finally gotten to like a sympathetic place <laughs> but yes. Cavs fans are just like new to it and ruthless so like they're being pretty cruel on the internet but it's been enjoyable because the season has been somewhat successful that so and i'll do maybe i'll do this here um brian windhorst wrote a story about Isaiah Thomas's contract um, mm-hmm. prospects. I don't know if you saw this, but one thing is that he mentioned as the Nets is a possibility for Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. The key with that, though, was that when he listed the Nets, he listed it at, so you may see sort of the Bleacher Report headline says, uh, Windhorse lists Nets as a possible Isaiah Thomas suitor. But the key to it is when you read the piece, it talks about how the Nets are just going to have the cap space available to sign someone like Isaiah Thomas. Right. The Nets aren't going to sign Isaiah Thomas. Why would they? Older. They have four point guards already. Just doesn't make sense. Anyways, in it, 
he talks about how the Nets pick is not as good as it once seemed because the Nets are the surprise team this season. And it is so enjoyable that um, basically LeBron isn't going to get to benefit and Dan Gilbert are not going to get to benefit from the Brooklyn Nets. That makes me happy. Uh, but give me give me your answer on that email, Bri. Are you where do you where do you stick on that question? It's an undeniable, undeniably successful season so far. <clears throat> We're talking about the trade potential of mo- multiple players, even like guys ostensibly deep on the bench. Um, like Joe, Har- like what can Joe Harris get us? Like if we were talking about that a couple of months ago, we'd seem kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, people are playing um, well over their original valuation, um, which is, is basically what we need out of the season, right? We just need to increase the value of our assets since we only have player assets. Um, so like just, in a in in the broadest sense, yeah, it's a success. Like despite wins or losses. Um, that being said, being you know on track for thirty wins or whatever it is, um, despite all of these injuries and and all that, um, that has to be seen as a as a success. And like we're you know in the conversation, like we you know we have these articles being written about us, like no nights off and stuff, and like that goes back into all of the um, giant air quotes culture stuff that we're trying to facilitate here. Um, what was the second part of the question? Oh, how do you see the win total shaping up? I mean, I don't see it really deviating that much. Uh, I think everyone like everyone kind of assumed that it was going to be a 31 season. Um, you know, um, well, yeah, like, so I don't, I don't see like a whole bunch of <clears throat> aberration from, from that pattern. Well, the problem, but, the problem is, is that like, so even if like they went on an eight game win streak, they still wouldn't be 500. Like so that yeah. the problem that D'Lo being out means that they don't win close games, or they it's unlikely that they win close games. And now when he's coming back, it's going to be great. But let's say they play, they play even like six hundred ball the rest of the way. I still don't think they get to five hundred for the rest of the year, right? And you would need to be five hundred to get into the playoffs. So the playoffs are going to be tougher to even look at or consider now. But um. Like the fact that we are butthurt, as you say, about the Raptors or Celtics game, and the fact that that we can be criticizing Kenny Atkinson for his late game substitutions or whatever we want to criticize him for means that we've elevated to a plane that was previously thought to be unattainable this season. We are at a level, the Nets are at a level that is um, where they can be criticized for late game decisions when previously they were just criticized for like, just not just not being interesting and not being uh talented and not having a future this team is has gone to that sort of orlando magic level of just being like they have some talent and there's some disappointment there but they are you know ultimately they are okay and they'll be better in the future the magic just haven't been any good lately um, yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> if if nothing else, it it bodes well for next season. I mean, I'll be really interested to see. Dude, um, how I know progresses. people are going to get hyped. I will say, if oh, like yeah. if they if they can make a trade where they get rid of Damari, Damari's contract. We all like Damari and blah blah blah. But let's say they like, open up cap space and then make a run at Aaron Gordon or someone else like Rodney Hood, any of those restricted free agents, and they get one of them to add to a pretty stable roster right now. Another year of D'Angelo, a rookie that would come over from the Toronto pick. Um, there's going to be like Nets eighth seed buzz that will be delicious. But we'll wait till next year, Brian, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, next up, your boy Mario Allison. Great name. Um, hey, guys. 
I had a question. Does it seem like the Nets are too reliant on their offensive system to get them shots due to lack of talent? Also, do you agree with me when I say that Kenny should start letting Rondé guard the opposing team's best perimeter player? Uh, Thanks for hitting us up. Great questions, Mario. Um, So let's start with that first one. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. It certainly didn't look like it last night. (laughs) Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's I I, I don't really know. A, a, like I think the the offensive system is basically um, it, can you get a, an open look in the first seven seconds of the shot clock, uh, and if not, like can, who can break down their defender? Who what, of what you know what has transpired in that first seven seconds that has allowed some kind of mismatch? Um, so it seems it seems like a pretty standard. If I mean standard in that it's. You know that's how you normally do after like you you run your set and then if the play is broken then you just try to do something with whatever time you have left but it just speeds up that process so I don't think that like you know philosophically it's too different from what most teams are doing um, although it's just like on steroids basically yeah and like so last night was a bad example and it's like why this question is a good question right now because like last night everything was just passing around the perimeter it was in the way of like. It was the idea of that, like, we're going to make passes because passes lead to good things, but the passes, they were just passing to pass. Like, there wasn't any um, pressure being put on the defense. They were just moving the ball around. And that can happen when you have this offense. Um, I mean, frankly, that's, again, that's why end of games haven't been great for the Nets because of the lack of talent. And I think the offensive system has carried them up to the point where they are close to end of most games. But that's why they need D'Angelo to come back to have that like sort of overwhelming talent guy to come in and then make the play that that works that's why i mean the spencer thing has been so sort of revolutionary right is that um he was previously i guess kind of thought of as a guy who's just sort of like a long dude who was a placeholder who could run a system but he's shown that he has that next level end of game type of shot making Mm -hmm. ability which has just been so massively huge for this team um the second part of that question is like the ronde question I wouldn't put him on the best perimeter player, would you? I mean, he's still not. I yeah, mean, well, I, in the ideal, like <clears throat> in the ideal system, fit, you know, uh, case that for for this team, like everyone's switching all the time, you know, and so like having Rondé guard an opposing team's best perimeter player, like, will happen by nature of being able to switch out on everyone. Um, so, like in play as it's as it's happening, I think that's fine. But to say like, hey, like you know, we're playing a you know box in one, and and Rondé's roving for the guard or something. Like, I I don't think that that's necessary. But um, like, I I also like it, it passes the eye test. Like, Rondé's good against smaller players. Um, but he also like is one of the few players that kind of has a shot against bigger guys, or if not, just like he's good at like pestering them and like denying them the ball. Yeah, and and like I I still like. I like Levert. I like Crab. Like I like Dinwiddie. I, like there's just like a lot of guys that I'm very happy with guarding the opposing team's best perimeter player. Um, you know, and, and, and again, this kind of goes back to the stretch forward guy. Like Rondé's really, really is better at kind of switching on to players and disrupting them. Where him being on straight on a guy sometimes, unless if he's you know of Rondé's height, is kind of tough for him. Um, yeah. All That's right. all of them, Mike. Hey, thanks everybody for hitting us up at netspod at gmail.com. We love you. We appreciate you so much. You guys make this thing go, you know? All right. I will give a data dump here. Okay, Bri? 
This is dump it, Doug. This is sort of so we've talked so much about should we trade Spencer? Should we trade Joe Harris? What should we do with this with those two players? That I don't think we've ever sort of broached the subject of what a contract of them coming back to the team would mean. Um, so Joe Harris is a free agent at the end of this year. Spencer's the end of the or a free agent at the end of next year. Um, Dinwiddie's Spencer's only. I love that I call him Spencer, but uh, he's making a, a million and a half this year and then next year. So what I did was I looked at free agents at who signed contracts this season. You know, this is the first year of their new deal, and I look. I try to compare them to their stats, ages, and what contracts they got to what you know Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris may be getting. Let's start with Joe Harris because it's sort of like less scary and more reasonable and sort of maybe why he may remain on this team. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Harris is late 20s, I think. He's averaging 10 points, and he's shooting 30, 37% from the field. Those are the two he's things 20, that matter. He's 26, not late 20s. Come on. Oh, yeah. I'm late 20s, but he's not. Okay. So <laughs> the comps, that there are three guys that sort of fit the comp, and I'll kind of go, I'll go low to high. Uh, Jody Meeks, who was 29 in his last season last year, averaged 9 and 41% from three. So he, about the same amount of points, but a better three-point shooter. He only got a two-year, $7 million overall contract. Okay, so that's sort of the low. But Jody Meeks, I think you would say he's worse than Joe Harris, right? Like, you'd rather have Joe Harris. He does yeah, a couple. He, he does a little bit more for you overall. So that was $3.5 million a year on a two-year contract. I don't know if I, I put Boyan in there just because I was kind of struggling to find other guys like Joe Harris. Boyan is different. Di- Boyan's taller, more of a sort of like overall scorer. But Boyan was 12.7 points last year, 39% from three, and he got the crazy total crazy deal two years for $21 million overall. So that's $10.5 million a year. And then C.J. Miles. So C.J. Miles had a longer time frame of being a good three-point shooter. He averaged 11 and 43% from three. So significantly better than Joe Harris's 37. Uh, CJ Miles got three years, 25 million. So about $8 million a year. So if you kind of put that all together, Jody Meeks at 3.5 a year, CJ Miles at eight, Boyan at 10.5. I don't know. I think you say something like two years for 6 million a year makes some sense for Joe Harris. Are you comfortable with that number, Brian? If if you said if they said Joe Harris is back with us for two years for six million a year, does that make you feel okay, or are you dreading that headline? Um, that makes me feel okay. I feel I feel comfortable with that. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I should just mention GNYR at GNYR underscore eighty two on Twitter just sent a very long and thoughtful. Um, I guess Twitter moment is that what these are? I don't know. I don't know what this is. Yeah, um, I saw that. I didn't know how to kind of handle that. Yeah, um, it's good. I'll retweet it or something if I can figure out how. But um, but yeah, I mean, like the main takeaway that we're kind of broaching here is his his ninth post, which is Nets fans need to understand you can't pay everyone. You don't need you don't want to be a mediocre team paying a core that isn't championship worthy. That's why Marks will have a hard will have hard decisions to make. Which is which is the, so like this is just to preface all of what we're talking about. Like we love all these guys, yada yada, but. That doesn't that doesn't preclude us from having these difficult decisions to make regarding who to pay and why. Well, and so do you want to hear the scary one, Brian? Yeah, is this the Dinwiddie one? So this is the Dinwiddie one. Okay, yeah, so it's gonna freak me out. So it's it. it's scary and good, you know, because when you <laughs> when you get paid, that means that you are a good player usually, unless if you're Mozgov or Dang. So like 
it means that he will have been good if he gets this amount of money. But this is like sort of the area that we're walking into. I'll just start with the low, and this is very low for Dinwiddie. If Dinwiddie just like, even if he levels off a little bit, if he's still he's averaging fourteen and a half points a game and seven assists a game since he's taken over for uh, D'Angelo Russell. He leads the NBA in assist to turnover ratio. He ranks fourth among point guards in real plus minus. What you know, whatever that means. I mean, I know what it means, but you know how I kind of feel about that stat. Anyway, so it's a good stat. Um, he's young. He is a smart locker room presence to have. He's 6'6", and he's a point guard. So those are all super valuable tools to have. The low thing for him, these are all guys, again, point guards that were signed last offseason. Patty Mills, my favorite, Patty Mills. A little bit different. Patty Mills isn't a pure point guard, but I'm just we kind of have to play out the game a little bit here. He averaged 10-4 and four last season as a backup, and he signed a four-year, $50 million deal overall. $12.5 million for a backup point guard who's on the Spurs. And the Spurs are a team that traditionally can get guys to sign for lower dollar values because they want to stay. So we're entering that level, right? Mm-hmm. Would you rather have Patty Mills or Spencer Dinwiddie, Brian? <laughs> um, I'm taking Spence dog on that one. Yeah. So Spencer's about 24, I think. Um, better defender, better all-around sort of player. So if that's the low, 12.5 million, then we're going to be going to places, okay? Mm-hmm. The next level is your George Hill, Jeff Teague types. Now, those are two guys that are older than Spencer will be when he's a free agent, but they are both sort of c- comparable, right? Sort of that, like, cushy little, like, 15 to 25 best point guard in the league tier. Uh, George Hill averaged 17 and 4 last year. Jeff Teague was around those numbers. They're both getting about $19 million a year. They signed. They each signed three years, 17 three-year, $57 million overall deals last year. And then the super scary territory, uh, which this is this was a unique situation, but Spencer has a shot to get this level, is Drew Holiday. I mean, Drew Holiday averaged only 15-7 and seven last season at 26 years old. Spencer, I think, will be 26 years old when he's a free agent. Drew Holiday signed a $30 million a year contract for five years. Five years, $153 million. Now, of course, there was the leverage situation with um, the fact that, like, New Orleans Pelicans basically had to give him all that money or they were just going to lose him and then lose the cap space. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. Um, but uh, if we're if we're Drew Holiday in a world where Drew Holiday can get $30 million a year at the age of 26 by just averaging 15 and 7 and having a bad injury history, which he did, Spencer Dinwiddie has a shot at at least – the George Hill, Jeff Teague number, at at least yeah. $19 million a year, okay? Um, yes. Add that together with what D'Angelo Russell will be making, and if we love Levert so much, what Karis Levert will eventually be up for a contract, we are entering a scary territory where uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, they're going to have to make a decision, basically. They're going to have to make a choice at some point between those three guys of, who are we paying and who are we trading? Because you're not just going to – you would think Sean Marks is going to be smart enough not just to let one of them just walk away for for nothing. Um, so that's why, because of those numbers, Spencer Dinwiddie may be traded. We just don't know yet. Yes, difficult to say, although his station on the team is going to be in flux a little bit going forward when, when D'Angelo Russell comes back. So we'll see what that does for everything, you know. It's going to be very interesting to see. Um, Mike. 
Yeah, and, and like, so, I don't know how, I mean, we've talked about it millions of times, but like, I, does it worry you, I guess? Are you worried the fact that that's going to be figured out, or is it just something that's like, you know what, it's going to be figured out, and it's going to work out for the team? Well, here's here's basically what I, like, I'm worried, because every time that it's like, oh, will teams be reasonable, and like, you know, this won't be just like an insane bidding war that leads to somebody getting a $153 million contract, it invariably does. Like there's there's never been a time where it's like oh that was reasonable, um, it only seems to be the escalation of this stuff. And don't get me wrong, like I want Spencer to get paid out of this world to make it rain, but um, I wanted to do it on my team because I like him, um, and that'll be difficult. So yeah, I'm, I'm worried that it's just gonna um, it's gonna shoot off into the stratosphere. You know that bill is just gonna get crazy. Um, you know what I mean? I feel like I feel I, has there ever been? Can you point to a case where I was like oh that's like a rational like way to handle that like Contavious Caldwell Pope kind of comes to mind what like the one-year contract yeah just like that's like he got a huge contract for you know what and I'm looking at his numbers right now and it's kind of sad boy and I don't know it just seems thank, like a bad situation yeah thank thank god that the Nets didn't sign him because I mean we were so against that deal and if they if they would have I remember like the Contavious Caldwell Pope versus Otto Porter discussion right. um obviously they went for Otto Porter and didn't work out but uh, yeah, I mean, I never let Caldwell Pope. No, and it's like so. Obviously, the the hope of all hopes is that um, the Nets become Spurs East, and they can convince players to stay within the system, and we'll treat you well, and you get a great practice facility. And man, Brooklyn's great. The L train will be back sometime, and like so, that's the hope. But the Spurs have done that because they won whatever amount of championships they won over you know a decade and a half. Where the Nets are, you know, the hungry team. And if I'm Spencer Dinwiddie, like just put myself in his shoes, I've gotten paid. Now I'm underpaid. I I'm getting paid a million and a half, but I'm getting underpaid. And um he's like, we've had him on the pod, he's a pretty smart dude. You know, I I would also want to get paid just tons of money if I could get paid tons of money. Like, please, please let that happen. Um, we have a late entry into the email pool, oh, but a good do. one um that I'm gonna read off. It's your boy, uh, Young Cho. Um, <clears throat> hey, guys, big fan of the pod. I know there's some hankering for Jabari as a possible trade target, but what about Wiggins? He's a bit of an ordinary player and an extraordinary athlete's body right now, and the perception is that he's kind of plateaued in terms of development. But keep in mind, he's only 22, and maybe Kenny's development can push him to the next level. For reference, that's a year younger than Levert and two years younger than Dinwiddie. Um, so Minnesota is really thin on depth, so would you pull a uh, trigger on... Pull the trigger on a package involving players like Levert, Dinwiddie, Carroll for Wiggins, and Shabazz Muhammad. No. Um, it goes on to say more. Thanks for the email, Young Cho. That's a that's a good one. Um, I've watched a little Wiggins lately. I watched that Celtics game that they played, and I watched the Nets game, and I'm concerned about, about Andrew Wiggins uh, between the ears, Mike. That's my concern. Yeah, and I think, like, so remember he was coming out of high school, right? Number one prospect, yeah. the Canadian LeBron. And then right. he goes to Kansas. Everyone's underwhelmed. Um, coming out of the draft, it was like, but he's like super talented and he's going to be a great defender. So like he'll figure it out. He could be the next McGrady type. And then he goes to the pros and he like has some good scoring stats, but his peripheries are terrible. And yeah. then he gets the benefit of this great team. And like he hasn't like he gets Jimmy Butler, Carnathan Towns, but yet he still himself hasn't like taken off significantly. I I think I think we know who he is, right? I think we like my, have an idea of who he is as a player, which isn't great. 
my comp for him is Larry Hughes. I think he's a like yes. kind of a Larry Hughes as player. Especially even the hair. Like, yeah, the hair now yeah. is Larry Hughes-esque. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's like I think he's just in a long line of guys who look good on paper and not even like statistically, but like you just look at the size and scoring, you're thinking like, oh, that's a classic swing man. But when you watch him play basketball, like I've never, never been impressed at all. Like, yeah, he'd be if yeah. he was on this team right now for free, you would take him, but you wouldn't. But yeah, so I guess to, to Young's point, though, he's 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 definitely highlighting Atkinson's developmental skills. You're right. Sure. So it's like, OK, he understands probably all this. Is there something there that, you know, Atkinson can crush into a diamond? See, no. Right. Like, I think development depends on. um like obviously the development you can teach guys certain parts of the game and expand sort of their court awareness if that's what the term we want to use but like i don't think as you said i don't think wiggins like has that i don't think he has um i think his problem is the fact that he doesn't have court awareness and he does have a lot of skill and he has so much talent but like he doesn't fit naturally we're like spencer didn't like lavert okay lavert is perfect example where like we both saw like the 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 seed there it was there even though he had no legs um mm-hmm. there was something there and like he just couldn't shoot the ball so then he developed and he started hitting shots but he started developing his game and matching sort of that talent where wiggins i feel like like just has he has this his skill of scoring the ball but he doesn't really have the other aspects and you can't really teach him to be aware you can't teach him to be woke on the court um he's unwoke good, on good. The court. um so that is it. I can do some quick news around the league, or we can just say goodbye. Which one do you want, Brian? Uh, do a quick news around the league. What do we got to do? I got, I got nothing going on. All right, beautiful. News around the league here. Um, three things for you, Brian. Drake's tattoos. Have you seen this story out recently about Drake's new tattoos or potentially newly discovered tattoos that are NBA-related? <laughs> no, I haven't seen this. This is very weird, and I want to get... So my question at the end of it will be, what? how does it change your impression of Drake? Uh, Drake, it was discovered via a picture he posted, has two tattoos on his left bicep. One is the number 30 and one is the number 35. Uh, They are seemingly in the font of the Warriors number scheme. If you don't know, Steph Curry is 30, Durant is 35, and under Durant's Durant's number, what we're alleging to be Durant's number 35, is the phrase snipe. Uh, Durant's Instagram handle is easy money sniper. Brian, so people believe <laughs> that Drake has tattoos uh, mentioning or memorializing, not memorializing, but sort of uh, referencing Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. What does that make you think about Drake? I I like it. It's like a real uh, Joey Bag of Donuts move. You know, he's, he's yes. one. That's <laughs> he's, what I thought. He's one um, Carmelo Anthony jersey away from going full Joey Bag of Donuts. So, I, so that's cool. I, I I think it shows sort of like, like the childlike fascination people have with sports. Like we well, we loved our idols when we were young. You know, that usually wears away as we grow older. For a guy who is probably around, could talk to and be around basketball players as much as he wants, which he is, I love that Drake still has that fanboy, you know, basketball fanboy in him, right? He's just one Yankees logo tattoo on his calf away from... <laughs> from, going, from going full full super saiyan joy bag of donuts 
Can I tell you, so I was, I was driving in, I worked early today, so I, was, I love listening to like late night sports talk radio, local sports talk radio, because <laughs> that's when they just take all callers, like whatever guy is calling yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. So this guy calls in, you can tell his voice, he probably sounds 70. He yeah. says, let me, I don't know what ho- who the host was, but he says, let me ask you, Bob Gibson or Sandy Koufax? That was the conversation. <laughs> That's amazing. And the host, to his credit, because I think this is a smart way to do it, he just said, I go Koufax 1, Bob Gibson 2, and then didn't explain it. Because you've you got to think he never thought about that. I mean, like, he, yeah. I, the host had to have, the host himself would have to be 80 years old to have a take on that. Um, no. And then the second question was. <laughs> that conversation is like Twitter, like, but actual human Twitter. Like, you know. This is even better. The second conversation was, <laughs> it was something like, if the, he said, if the three-point line had been around when the Knicks won their championship, so what, 72? They would not have won because some player against the Knicks hit a really long shot that would have been in the game winner if there were three-point <laughs> lines. And then he, the guy proceeded to say, that's why I don't think they should have the three-point line. They should get rid of it. What? What? We're getting rid <laughs> of the three-point line? You're like you're you're laying in bed. You're trying to you're trying to close your eyes to fall asleep, and then like shoot out of bed, like pick up your phone, <laughs> the local the local talk radio host. You know what we um, got to do? We got to so get rid good. of the three point line. What are we? T- we got you know we have to ban the dunk. Get rid of the yeah. dunk. That I mean I understand. Dude, you that- can't. Don't even address it. You're going. You're 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 in too deep already. I can tell. Oh my god, I love it. Okay, uh, next story. <laughs> News red leak here. Uh, Ronnie Hood was ejected from last night's Wizards game, and I don't know if you saw this, but I as this. you saw this, yeah. Um, as he was walking back to the locker room, he was passing his bench, and there was a middle-aged fan sitting in his seat. His seat was adjacent to Caddy Corner. I don't know of I don't I don't know what any of those terms mean. Uh, to the Jazz bench. Okay, and the fan had his phone out in a normal position. It wasn't like he shoved it in Rodney Hood's face. He was sitting in his chair. But had his phone up recording Rodney Hood as he's walking off the court. And Rodney Hood just takes his hand and slaps it right out of the fan's hand. Takes, hits the phone, phone flips down on the ground, and it was fantastic. Obviously, Rodney Hood's going to get suspended. But question, Brian, uh, Rodney Hood is a restricted free agent that the Nets could possibly want. Does that make you want him more or less? Um. Uh, it doesn't change that. I don't. I never wanted him, and I don't want him. <laughs> um, Fair question. But, Fair answer. But um, I, I do like it. I mean, I've I've often thought like it seems it seems kind of crazy that it's just like legal that you could just film anyone at any old time. It seems that seems kind of absurd to me. I mean, I don't know if you had like oh, a giant Brian, camera. Like, what are you, pre- President Trump, with the libel laws? Are you trying to? Try to change. No, but I mean, if you're a cop, sure, or something. But like, just like I don't know. I was watching this um, <clears throat> that show, Ridiculousness. You're familiar? With the, yeah. Is that MTV. the Rob Deerdeck? I, I was watching this like this is like three years ago. So, uh, <laughs> and some guy is like wasted, drunk, and he's falling all over himself, and his like pants are off, and he's like writhing around on the floor in a dorm room or something. And instead of helping the guy, instead of doing anything useful, the guy just films him and puts it on the internet. Like, yes, that seems <laughs> that seems messed up to me. Like, I hate that. Um, you can't have a bad night anymore. That's what this means. So, like, Ronnie Hood, you can't have a bad night anymore. You get filmed. And then, like, in, yeah, of course, I hate everyone should hate that guy. But everyone kind of is that guy, which is troublesome. Like, I saw right. it, like, being passed around pretty hotly on the internet. And, like, there's at least, like, 80% of you guys would do the exact same thing. I'm sure of it. So would I, yes. I'm, we, are, yeah. we are that guy. All right, last one. <laughs> uh, so the Bulls played the Knicks last night in, in New York. 
And double overtime, great game. Everyone's happy that the Bulls won. The Bulls are a hot team somehow. Suddenly, Chris Dunn is being mentioned as you know one of the nice young point guards in the league when he was mm-hmm. cast off. But the Bulls did something very sweet. Um, they they build this game as the mom's game. What they did was they they got all the moms from all the Bulls players, charted got them on the charter flight with the team, flew them out to the MSG. All the moms were in the jerseys of their sons. They all sat together. And they all watched the game together. And um, it, the Robin Lopez's mom, you know, obviously Brooks' mom too, says it's very, very special. I think it's probably the first time in the history of the NBA that they've had something like this. And I've gotten to know the moms much better and realize that I know why they have such nice sons and wonderful people because they are wonderful. Um, that Jeez. is very. This is sweet. like a story made for you, Mike. You yeah. love mom talk. I love mom talk. Moms, moms love me. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Anyways, uh, that's another. That's another podcast idea for you. Mom talk with Mike Smells. <laughs> mom talk with a with a man. Uh, <laughs> mansplaining about moms. Um, question for you. Now, this may be tough to answer right off the bat, but what franchise would be least likely to do something <laughs> like this? Um, I see you have an answer here. I'm looking at the doc that we're sharing. Oh, um, we're sharing the doc. <laughs> I'm really excited to see you come to this. Um, let's see. Uh, I I don't have. I don't know. Like the Kings was a bad franchise that just doesn't care about stuff. I mean, I guess they kind of do care about like promotional stuff. Yeah. Um, except for getting us a certain player on our podcast, but I don't want to talk about that. Anyways, <laughs> um, Vince Carter. Okay. Uh, Dallas is my answer. Um. So we all think of Mark Cuban as sort of this revolutionary, um, evolutionary figure in sport management mm-hmm. and how he, man- you know, the, they, they were the first team that had the nice locker rooms and sort of do the things that they do about rest. And they were the team to do all that stuff. But I also feel like Mark Cuban is the type of person that would believe having moms around would sort of impact the psyche of his players. They're big into the psychology of players. And I think he would drag out some Freudian reason for why players would perform not as well with their mom in the stands than if, you know, the moms weren't there. So I actually believe he'd bar mothers from going to mm. games. That's my take on Mark Cuban. That's just what Smart I pick take. up from him. That's and, and the team most likely to do it beyond the Bulls that did it would actually be the Nets. This is like the the Netsiest thing possible, right? How much they love family and they do all that family stuff. Vibes. All right, get us out of here, Mike. All right. Um netspod at gmail.com for emails itunes give us five stars um netsdaily.com at bk glue guys on twitter uh we are trying and will get a couple of guests before the trade deadline comes up february 8th a couple of people in the know so look for that on netsdaily.com and brian michael have a good one you too oh also shout out to almighty baller check out the other podcasts thanks everybody take care bye yeah, boy. Yeah.